Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. My two, or two of my recent messages were to do with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The first one was um, uh, his person, his work in Old Testament times from creation, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, also, uh, the book of Job, chapter 26, by his spirit he hath garnished or adorned the heavens, but also how he came upon certain individual persons for a specific purpose and for a limited time, and uh, culminating the, uh, that message with uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus and the, the part that the Holy Spirit had in that um, where the angel spoke to Mary, saying, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and the Holy One to be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And how God was going to give to him the throne of his father David, and he would rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. And then... Um, uh, from the New Testament, the second message, that was to do with his person and his work in relation to uh, individual people in New Testament times or even right down to the 21st century where um, he had a part in a person's life before conversion uh, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and how he convicts of sin, showing a person that he is lost and he needs a saviour. And then he assists that person to salvation. Uh, we have the example of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Her heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things that were spoken by Paul. And then after salvation, how he comes to indwell, uh, there is the seal of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and so we are sealed. Uh, we have the verse from Second Timothy, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And just like a brand, uh, we have that identifying seal. Uh, that seal, of course, has a flip side. The other side is, Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so... Uh, so uh, th these were, in essence, oh, well, uh, also, um, he indwells the believer for, uh, for many, many purposes. One, uh, we've been reminded of this morning, that uh, he assists us in our prayers. We know not how we should pray as we ought, but he makes groanings for us. With, uh, he makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And uh, this is his gracious work. He indwells us to, to teach, to guide into all truth, to warn of dangers along the way when we might be likely to be tripped up, and uh, also to bear fruit for the Master's glory, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And, uh, and so this is his, his uh, work for the uh, believer. <clears throat> And uh, and so this had this was followed up in that message by the possibility of sinning against the Holy Spirit. There was the um, sin of 
uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit of God by which you were sealed. There's that seal again, unto the day of redemption. And looking at that in its context, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Following on from that verse, and uh, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. And so we have uh, this possibility that Christians can grieve the Holy Spirit if we don't behave like that. Uh, There was another one, uh, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. I've no doubt that they were a genuine Christian couple, but their sin was one of hypocrisy, pretending to be giving more than they actually were. And, uh, and so uh, Peter then accused them of lying to the Holy Spirit. So there is another sin, the sin of hypocrisy. And uh, uh, we are told in Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, quench not the Spirit. And uh, so as he would direct us, as we, uh, as, as we are led by him, it is possible to go against his wish and do our own thing but we are exhorted to quench not the spirit and uh, <clears throat> there was the sin in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen was being stoned but in his sermon as, as he recounted so much of the history of Israel and then he accused the hearers then uh, these Jews uh, he said that uh, <clears throat> uh, You're just like the Old Testament uh, people who persecuted the prophets. He spoke of them as being stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and mind. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. And for that, uh, he was stoned to death. And then uh, the other one from Matthew's Gospel, um, which is the puzzle of the unpardonable sin, a sin against the Holy Spirit which has no uh, pardon at all. So we're at Matthew chapter 12 and reading from verse 22. Matthew chapter 12 verse 22. Then one was brought to him, the Lord Jesus, who was demon-possessed. Demon demon possession, demon activity during the time of our Lord was, it appeared to be very rife then and possibly because the Son of God was walking on planet Earth and uh, the demon activity was very, very uh, prevalent at that time. So uh, this man was demon possessed and as a result of this he was blind and mute. He was unable to speak. And this in itself is quite a picture of of the unsaved person, spiritually blind, in whom the God of this age, that is Satan, hath blinded the minds of those who believe not. And and also he was mute. Well, he he was unable to uh, speak or sing the praises of the Lord in any case. And uh, that is once again true of the unsaved person. He was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, 
This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So there's the two responses that came from this miracle. Uh, following on from this is that uh, sin which is called the unpardonable sin. And that uh, when I spoke of the sins of the Holy Spirit at that time, I said that uh, Bible commentators are divided on this and um, no one is really sure. Uh, some of them say that it could only be a sin committed at that time, during the time when our Lord was on earth. Uh, just to go to a verse f- further down that we haven't read yet, uh, there is neither forgiveness in this age nor the age to come, this age being his time on, on earth is uh, how some... Uh, commentators identify that and others say but it is still prevalent and always has been and even more so uh, today than it was then and uh, <clears throat> and I said that uh, you know on, uh, during that message that really I should do a bit more research myself well I have done and uh, so I'd like to uh, bring us back to that one again So uh, here we have the response of these people. So that is the context in which that sin is described later on. Then was brought to him one who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And then the response from the ordinary people was, could this be the son of David? And the Pharisees heard it and they said, This fellow doth not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Uh, There evidently were people called exorcists uh, around at that time, and uh, this must have been a reference to them. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. And he who is not with me is against me. And who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven them. Anyone who whispers a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Well, may the Lord give us understanding of this. And so, as I say, commentators are uh, divided on this. And if um, my... uh, Final thoughts on this don't match with yours. Um, well, uh, Lord's blessing be on you. It, um, you. You know, where learned scholars differ, we, that is I, must not be dogmatic. 
but, um, but I have had a closer look at this uh, before. So then, uh, to find out if we can discover what this blasphemy is, first of all, let's consider what it is not. And it is not verbal blasphemy. Now, no Christian should ever indulge in foul language. But sadly, many do. However, foul language is not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, not even taking the name of the Lord in vain. These sins can be forgiven. It is not the sin of theft or violence. We remembered this morning earlier the dying thief on the cross. Now, he was described as being a robber. A robber is someone who's more than a thief. He robs with violence. And yet he found... uh, forgiveness for his crimes it is not murder and adultery once again we were reminded of this this morning king manasseh uh, who was a murderer king manasseh according to israeli legend was the one who put the prophet isaiah in a hollow log and then sawed the log in two Uh, he was a wicked and a cruel man and yet he came to the lord later in life it is uh, an, another one, um, Nebuchadnezzar, of course. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked and cruel man. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem three times, and on the third time it was King Zedekiah. And the last thing that King Zedekiah saw, uh, we read uh, there in the closing chapters of Kings and Chronicles, that um, he was 21 years old when he came to the throne and he reigned for 11 years, so that makes him 32. King Nebuchadnezzar killed his sons before his eyes. So his young lads would not have been very old. This is the sort of man that Nebuchadnezzar was. He was a wicked, a cruel man killing these two young lads of King Zedekiah. Then he put Zedekiah's eyes out and took him captive to Babylon. He went to Babylon as a blind man. The last thing he saw on this earth was the killing of his own boys. And yet Nebuchadnezzar was a saved man. Uh, as we saw in the opening verses of, um, of chapter 4 of Daniel, Peace be to all the world. He was never a man of peace. He was a violent man. And then the closing verses of that chapter. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol because God took a dealing with him. I think God did say because uh, even though he was so wicked and cruel when he destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and uh, he took those holy vessels to Babylon, he put them in the treasure house of his God. Perhaps he was treating them with reverence. And uh, and so God humbled that proud man, the proud man who stood looking around his kingdom and saying, oh, Nebuchadnezzar built this kingdom. And God humbled him. And so this great change came to his life. So it is not murder. It is not adultery. We have examples in scripture. These are not unforgivable. God can forgive these sins. It is not the sin of pride. Well, pride, of course, was the 
main sin by which mankind is afflicted. After all, that was the sin of Satan himself, the fallen angels. Satan said, I will ascend above the Most High. I'll put my throne, elevate my throne above that of the Most High God. And he was cast down to earth. Well, then, let's see what it was. Going back then to verse 23... All the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? So they, they were amazed and they must have realised that, yes, the long-promised Messiah has come and he's here and this is the one. Whereas the Pharisees heard it and they said, no, he does these miracles by Beelzebub. Well, uh, first of all, uh, so I, I had a look in to see what I could find out about Beelzebub. Uh, one uh, deity which is mentioned often in the Old Testament times is Baal, B-A-A-L. Beelzebub starts with B-E-E-L. And uh, so you can see that the shift of the vowels could be quite possible. Well, um, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and uh, into their own land once again during the time of Joshua, now after the death of Moses, they found that uh, every locality had its own deity, its own Baal, and uh, going right down to the time of uh, King Ahab, um, the, the Baal there was um, uh, 400, 400 prophets of Baal uh, and Elijah challenged them all uh, or challenged the people to, uh, to follow the appropriate God, the one who was the greater God, uh, Baal, with these 400 prophets or, uh, or was it uh, Jehovah, Yahweh? And uh, so we had that... Um, uh, conflict on Mount Carmel. Well, uh, that Baal was, um, uh, has been identified as the one from Tyre, which was Jezebel's hometown. Uh, King Ahab of Israel married this Gentile woman, Jezebel, and of course she is the one who introduced Baal worship. But uh, many of the Baals there um, were uh, had different names, you know, qualifying uh, who they were or what their focus was, uh, like Baal Peor, uh, Baal hyphen Peor, P-E-O-R, uh, Baal Berith, Baal hyphen Berith, and so forth. And uh, there is one in Second Book of Kings, chapter 1. So just to read a few verses from here. King Ahab uh, died in battle and, uh, and that is recorded in the last chapter of 1 Kings and his son uh, Ahaziah came to the throne. So, um, so I mean, um, 1 Kings uh, chapter uh, 22 and um, we read here that Uh, Ahaziah, Ahaziah, the son of 
Ahab became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now, coming to the first chapter of 2 Kings, verse 2, this is King Ahaziah, who was uh, king for only two years, but he fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he was very, very badly injured, and uh, it looked like... um, he, he was fatally injured, the, the death was going to result. So reading on, So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebab. Baal-zebub. Um, B-A-A-L hyphen Z-E-B-U-B, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go to meet the messenger of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed. And uh, so we have uh, uh, the behaviour of uh, King Ahaziah there. He Uh, belligerently sold a company of 50 men with a captain uh, to go and arrest Elijah and bring him in. Well, uh, they came to nothing, so he sent another uh, captain of 50 with that 50 men. Uh, On these occasions, Elijah, when the the captain said, uh, a man of God, the king says, come down. You know, you're a man of God, but we serve the king, King Ahaziah. He's a He has more authority than your God. Man of God, the king says, come down. And the second captain was even more belligerent. He said, man of God, the king says, come down at once. And uh, each time Elijah said, if I am a man of God, may fire come down and consume you and your 50 men. And that's just what happened. And so a third captain of 50, he wasn't going to give up in a hurry, but this man, he fell to his knees and he said, oh, man of God, please, uh, may my life and the lives of these 50 men, may they be precious in your sight. And so the Spirit of the Lord said to Elijah, go with them, don't be afraid of him, and you go down. And so uh, Elijah then Uh, asked the same question, is it because there is no God in Israel that you send these men to uh, Baal, Ekron, uh, uh, Baalzebub, the god of Ekron. Ekron was one of the five chief cities of the Philistines. And so so, uh, this evidently is the same uh, reference here uh, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. This is the association of it that I was um, uh, leaning towards. And so Jesus knew their thoughts and he, he was able to squash their arguments. And so we come now to, um, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age nor the age to come. And so then, it is not breaking any of the Ten Commandments, it is not... um, Uh, well so many things that are horrible to our thinking and yet 
it is not this. Just exactly what is it? Or probably a more important question would be, if the Bible speaks elsewhere that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin, how can the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit be ineffective in cleansing from sin if there is no forgiveness for it? Coming back to Genesis chapter 6, when the population of planet Earth was increasing at a great rate, we read there that the wickedness was rife. Uh, The thoughts of uh, men and uh, women, the population of the earth was only evil continually, so much so that the Lord God repented. He regretted that he had created man and he said, I will destroy man from the earth. Uh, But the verse that leaps out at that passage there is, my spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not always strive with man. And so the flood uh, has come. Further along in the Old Testament there, when we come to the book of Exodus, we read uh, of Pharaoh. Uh, When Moses came to Pharaoh and said, uh, thus says uh, the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me. And uh, Pharaoh, who is your God that I should let the people go? And he refused to do it. And so then plague after plague. And with those plagues, Pharaoh relented, oh, take away, you know, turn the river back to pure water again. And uh, then God did so through Moses. And uh, then Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so another plague came, frogs. And, uh, oh, let, let, I'm sorry, yeah, I'll, let, I'll let you go. But he changed his mind. And then uh, finally, uh, as Pharaoh is hardening his heart, time after time after time, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And here I think we have a clue to what goes on with repeated warnings which are not heeded. So the time came when God hardened Pharaoh's heart and so so the final plague was the one where they were able to get liberty but uh, at a very terrible cost indeed. And... uh, so, so what, what I'm saying is God's patience does wear out. And um, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart until God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Coming to uh, the New Testament, to the, the epistle to the Romans in chapter 1, we read three times, verses 24, 26 and 28, God gave them over. Uh, uh, the, the whole passage from Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, I won't read it now, but um, in verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart. So these are people uh, who willfully turn their back upon God. Uh, may, maybe I should read those earlier verses. Uh, 
from verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so when you come to verse 24, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. The catalogue of behaviour on the part of the people here, uh, it it is hard to read in a public place. And uh, verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. The day of salvation for them was over. God had finished with them even while they lived and breathed and, uh, on, on this earth. Uh, so their time of uh, possible salvation had passed. And this is what I am suggesting to be Uh, the unpardonable sin. You see what the Pharisees did here back in Matthew chapter 12, that they were accusing Jesus even of being in league with Satan, casting out demons by Beelzebub, um, the the prince of demons. And, And so this is what he... Uh, called the unpardonable sin. Just uh, come down to um, a verse later on, uh, verse 38 of that chapter. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, they were always asking for a sign. Paul even makes mention of that in uh, 1 Corinthians. The Jews seek a, seek a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. They were always asking a sign. Now, if someone claiming to be the Messiah should come and and say that uh, uh, he is the Messiah, wouldn't they have every right to see his credentials for that proof to be? Of course they would. But proof was there aplenty. Signs, miracles were there aplenty. After the... um, this is in the early, ver- early chapters of Matthew's Gospel. His Sermon on the Mount occupied chapters 5, 6 and 7. Have a look at chapter 8, when he came down from the mountain. When he'd come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and then there's a leper worshipping. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here's a man who believed. Jesus put out his hand and touched him. In Mark's Gospel, a, a little more detail... Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. The first loving touch to come into this man's existence in a long, long time. He didn't quickly put his hand on his shoulder and then draw it back again. This is what you don't do with lepers. Put his hand out, touched him and said, I will be thou clean. Then uh, verse 5 of that chapter, the centurion who had a servant who was sick. And he asked the Lord to heal his servant. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And uh, this man, who was a commissioned officer in the Roman army, he's a centurion, he's at the command 
of a company of a hundred men. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my home. All you need do is say the word and my servant could be healed. And Jesus' response was, I've never seen such faith as this, not in all Israel. Then you come down, Peter's mother-in-law, same chapter, and uh, she is unwell and uh, she is healed. And then verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits... um, Uh, He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And on it comes in chapter 9. We read there um, the closing verses of chapter 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them for, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Well, um, the proof that he truly was the Messiah was there in abundance when he went to the synagogue in Nazareth and stood and read from Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, he's anointed me to Uh, preach liberty to the captives, giving of sight to the blind, and all of these things. The evidence was already there, and yet they deliberately refused to accept it. And uh, all of these uh, requests of theirs, show us a sign, give us another sign. And uh, on one occasion, there will be no sign given but the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the bowels of the earth, in the heart of the earth. Uh, Another sign, well, no sign will be given you, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. You what? took 40 years to build this temple. This is the temple um, that was uh, beautified by uh, Herod the Great. And uh, and you're going to erect it again in three days, but he was talking of his body, that he would be killed, three days later he would rise again from the dead. And so, um, so, so these were wicked men who were deliberately asking uh, continually for a sign. And so here we read in uh, Romans chapter 1, these three occasions when uh, God gave them up because of their their continued unbelief. We think of the Lord Jesus when when he stood before King Herod. Remember he was arrested and he was brought before Pontius Pilate and Pilate had to come out to the people and say, I find in him no fault at all. And uh, they were still insisting, crucify him, crucify him. These are the people. And, uh, and, and so Pilate found out that he was Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, that's in Galilee. That's not in my jurisdiction. That's, that belongs to Herod, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And uh, so Herod's in town. And so Pilate sent him to Herod. Remember when he came to Herod? And Herod was pleased because he'd heard so much about Jesus. He wanted to meet him for himself and find out a bit more information. And 
And the Lord had not a word to say to him. Now this really is unusual, isn't it? That here is a hell-bound sinner who wants to speak to the Lord and yet the Lord has nothing to say to him. Why? Because Herod has overstepped the mark. He has silenced the voice of the Spirit of God for too long. You see, he was the one who imprisoned John the Baptist and he delighted to go down there and speak with John. And I believe that Herod was under conviction when he was doing so. But in a moment of stupidity, he had John beheaded and and he silenced the voice of God's man who had been witnessing to him and that was uh, stepping across uh, the line. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was a wicked and a cruel man also when it came to uh, the uh, to uh, Christians and his behaviour towards them. Saul of Tarsus, he thought that he was doing God a favour, just as the Lord told the disciples that there would be those who would uh, persecute you, thinking they're doing God a service. But uh, when you come to, when he's giving his testimony in Acts chapter 26, his conversion is recorded for us in uh, chapter chapter 9, and uh, on the Damascus Road, he's on his way to, to persecute uh, Christians, uh, to arrest some in Damascus, have them put in prison, have them punished. And um, he was blinded by a light from heaven and a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Lord, what would you have me to do? And uh, the Lord's voice was, go into the city, that is Damascus, go into the city and it'll be told you there. Now, uh, when he's giving his testimony to King Agrippa in chapter 26, he said there, uh, well, the verse is uh, that uh, he said, O King Agrippa, um, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now, if Paul had been disobedient, if he had got up with oaths and curses and and so forth, and if he had not been um, showing that attitude that he was, then he too would have crossed that deadline. But instead, uh, the Lord said to him, go into the city, it'll be told what to do. And so uh, this, I believe myself to be the unpardonable sin, the deliberate refusal on the part of people of the grace of God is this one sin which by its very nature has no remedy. Deliberate refusal and uh, just like these Pharisees here, just like these recorded in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 1, Uh, We have another instance in uh, John chapter 12, the Gospel of John chapter 12. I I think this one is worth including in this as well. And um, uh, once again, the Lord had been performing miracles and yet people were not believing in him. (coughs) 
verse 37. But although Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? A verse out of Isaiah 53. Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So as my research has taken me along these lines, I feel sure that uh, this is the sin which is without remedy to to deliberately and continually refuse. I don't mean uh, to hear the gospel once and put it off and say, no, no, not for me. No, I don't believe that that is the unpardonable sin. A person can be under conviction for years before coming to faith in Christ. But to deliberately refuse, like Romans chapter 1, like these in John chapter 12, and uh, back in Isaiah's day when that prophecy was given. So uh, again, I would say, as I said then, that if anyone at all feels that uh, perhaps, am I guilty of the unpardonable sin? Am I guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? The very fact that you are having these thoughts is clear evidence that you are not guilty. Such a person would be so cold, so stone cold towards the things of God and uh, that, um, uh, that they would have no such thought at all. Well, if I can take a couple of minutes now just to finish off on a, uh, a brighter note, uh, once again concerning the Holy Spirit, and I'm going back to our uh, time together last uh, Wednesday morning when we were uh, in John's Gospel uh, in those verses uh, where we spoke of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, Uh, The last couple of verses in John chapter 15. But when the helper, that is um, the New King James uh, word for comforter in the authorised version, uh, advocate, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Here what the Lord is saying is that we can be co-workers with him in getting the message of the gospel out. Um, Verse 27, you also will bear witness. The Holy Spirit will bear witness of me. He will testify of me. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And uh, so... uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, work us together with, uh, w- with the Lord uh, in uh, preaching the gospel. And so may we find great delight uh, in, uh, in doing as the Lord was saying here, you also will bear witness. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit bore witness to the Lord uh, even back in Old Testament times. Uh, when uh, speaking to the Jews, uh, he said, um, you people search the scriptures. Why? Because in them you think you have eternal life. 
well, get this, those scriptures testify of me, but you will not come to me in order that you might have life. And so these were, he was speaking to people who were deliberately saying, no, we will not have this man to reign over us. Well, um, uh, those scriptures in Old Testament times, but he then went on to say, and you also will bear witness. And this brings us right down to the 21st century. So we too, by our lives, by our words, also uh, work us together with God. Uh, as co-workers with the Lord and so we too can have the joy of participating uh, with him. One one of the things about uh, this is that um, when the Lord uses, uh, uh, when when the Lord is working in someone, he, he uses individuals like us Uh, For example, um, in chapter 8 of Acts, we have the Ethiopian eunuch. But it was Philip who was called to explain the scriptures to him. And so the gospel message went to Ethiopia, this Ethiopian eunuch who was on his way back home to Ethiopia. In chapter 9, it was uh, Saul of Tarsus. Well, he was told to go to the city. Uh, A Christian there named Ananias, not the Ananias of chapter 5, another one by that name was told to go to the street called Straight and there he would minister to Paul. Uh, Barnabas also was of great help at that time. In chapter 10, Cornelius, a centurion who was a devout man and uh, and God told him to send men to Joppa called for Simon Peter. He'll tell you how you can be saved. So uh, it is the work of the Holy Spirit who brings people the regeneration but He uses human instrumentalities to help them. And this is what we were reading here in these closing verses of chapter 15. So may the Lord grant that we take great delight in doing just that, to uh, to speak for him. Our Father, once again we bow before your presence this morning. We thank you for this time that we have had together Uh, around the person of our Lord. We thank you, Father, for the praise, the worship which has ascended to heaven. And we thank you, too, that there are difficult things in the word of God, even as Peter described some of Paul's writings, uh, things hard to be understood. And yet, Lord, we know that it is the infallible word of an infallible God. And so we do ask your continued leading and guidance as we seek to know your mind and how we should uh, conduct ourselves while on this earth. So be with us then as we uh, part. Uh, We give you thanks once again uh, for our fellowship together and we give you thanks also for the refreshments that have been provided for us and uh, we pray that our time of fellowship uh, with with these enjoyments to with these um, refreshments to enjoy our time will truly be very sweet and precious and exalting to the lord so we give you thanks for every blessing lead us forward from this day forth uh, throughout the rest of the day throughout this week and in the days that lie ahead beyond that we return our thanks now in our savior's name amen